Hey everyone, it's David Pluff. Welcome to Campaign HQ. This week, we are going to spend time going deep into the state of Michigan, a state that uh, I know many of you who follow politics know it was critical in 20 when Joe Biden won those electoral votes, 16 electoral votes was critical to Donald Trump's victory uh, in 2016. You know, has spent, you know, I'd say most of the last, you know, 40 or 50 years as, a, as an important swing state. There's been some times where it leaned a little more blue, a little more red, but it's back to being an absolute purple state now with the mix that you would expect, which is, you know, there's big cities that produce turnout opportunity for Democrats or turnout problems for Democrats, big suburban vote, which has been a, a source of great strength for Democrats recently, and, you know, some rural and exurban areas where Republicans have expanded their lead. So it's it's a great microcosm of the country. Uh, and there's a lot of important races going on in Michigan. We've got, uh, obviously, Governor Whitmer's reelection race uh, against Tudor Dixon, kind of another one of the bizarre candidates, uh, like some of the other ones we've talked about on previous episodes, kind of really out there, full on MAGA. The Michigan State Senate, uh, which is Republican controlled now, uh, has a chance of flipping. Uh, there are two uh, considered dead heat U.S. House races. So Michigan can play an important role in control and margin in the House. There are constitutional offices in Michigan, including Secretary of State. We've talked about those on previous episodes, how important having people who actually believe that the winners of elections should win those elections is versus somebody who decides as the official arbiter of elections to just want to choose their party. So critical state, uh, most importantly right now, but it's also going to be important in 2024. So hopefully you'll learn a little bit about the important state of Michigan. We've got a couple of great guests on today. First, we're going to be talking to Jonathan Osting, who's a longtime observer uh, and, and political journalist in Michigan. Uh, he's worked for the Detroit News uh, and M Live, um, and he's working for a uh, outfit now called Bridge Michigan, which just does great reporting uh, on the state of Michigan. So we're really important to get a sense from Jonathan about the Michigan state of play, uh, some of the key races from governor on down. So I think he'll give us a good overview. And then we're going to spend time with Preston Elliott, who is uh, serving this cycle as uh, Gretchen Whitmer's campaign manager. Preston is a longtime Democratic operative, has run races basically all over the country <laughs> from Texas to uh, to Midwestern states uh, to Southern states. I actually worked with with Preston in the 2004 cycle. So going back a long time, but uh, considered one of the, the best operatives on the scene. So he's going to talk about the Whitmer race and what they've put together where they see their opportunities, where they see their challenges, what it's like to, to run as a, an incumbent running for re-election in this tough uh, economic times. So I think that'll be a great discussion, which gives an insight into their strategy uh, and where they see that race going. And a reminder in Michigan, people are voting in Michigan like they are in many states. Uh, they started voting last week. So, um, you know, we're going to start to see vote come in. And Michigan's not like a state like, let's say, in Arizona or, or California or even in Florida, where you have just a massive percentage of vote coming in early. But a lot of people are going to avail themselves of the opportunity to vote by mail. So we'll, we'll learn in the coming weeks, well before Election Day, if there's patterns in that early vote that can tell us something. So uh, buckle up. We're going to go deep into the important state of Michigan on Campaign HQ. Jonathan Osting, who's a Michigan political reporter for Bridge Michigan. Uh, welcome to Campaign HQ. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to talk to you. Let's just do kind of a tour. Uh, we're going to have Preston Elliott on later, uh, who's Gretchen Whitmer's campaign manager. So let's start there. Fascinating governor's race. You obviously have Governor 
Whitmer running for re-election, Tudor Dixon, kind of the the most MAGA candidate who came through that primary, running a a very uh well, maybe it's not an unconventional campaign. Certainly seems to make a lot of headlines. So just where how do you assess that race? Where where you and I are talking 36 days out from the election, people are starting to already vote in Michigan uh by mail. So where do you see that race standing today? Yeah, um, you're right. Absentee ballots are out. And Tudor Dixon is basically trying to do anything she can to get attention right now. She is being (laughs) badly out fundraised, badly outspent on television. Um, So her answer has been to host a lot of public and press events. So that's been good for me and other press members as reporters getting a lot of access to the candidate. Um, On the other hand, um, you know, Gretchen Whitmer is running a very careful and controlled campaign, right? She's leading in the polls, uh, you know, an average of 10 points, I think, in the real clear politics average. Uh, And she's got a huge war chest, a big cash advantage. So she's uh, running a lot of television commercials that sort of address some of her potential vulnerabilities in the election. And she's not doing many public events where she might say something that could get her in trouble or make a mistake. So um, it's it's a very carefully controlled campaign on the Whitmer side. Dixon campaign trying to be provocative and trying to get attention. Right. You mentioned Whitmer's campaigns running some ads that potentially shore some vulnerabilities. What are those vulnerabilities? Well, obviously, the economy, um, uh-huh. you know, Michigan um, was hit harder than a lot of states by pandemic related job losses. And we have been slower to recover from those pandemic mm-hmm. job losses. We're still down something like 82,000 um, jobs or at least employed employees in the state of Michigan right now. Um, so that's a vulnerability. Whitmer is running ads um, touting um, the CHIPS Act, touting some investments in microchip manufacturing facilities mm-hmm. here in Michigan. Um, and, uh, you know, in one ad, she even says, like, I know everything costs more right now, even the cost of cereal. Um, so talking about inflation, standing in a grocery aisle, trying to, um, you know, empathize with voters mm-hmm. who are experiencing these things. But at the same time, she says, it's not necessarily something I can control. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's trying to appeal to voters who are frustrated um, by saying, you know, I hear you. I'm frustrated, too, by some of these factors. But we are trying to do what we can. Uh, to address them. And of course, she can target those ads exactly to the types of voters she thinks she needs to, to reach. One of the benefits of of advertising these days is the precision. So Tudor Dixon, and, and maybe it's just what I'm seeing. You're following her, you know, hour to hour. So yeah, she is trying to be controversial. I don't get a sense that it's necessarily all connected strategically, right? She's you know, made light of the kidnapping, which got a lot of attention in Michigan as well as nationally. Uh, she said some things about abortion. Now she's trying to walk those back. So what I mean, what is her core argument? Is there a core argument? Is it, is it all economic? Or But that doesn't seem to be punching through because she's trying to get press coverage. And if she just says the same thing every day on the economy, she's probably going to get less and less of it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been interesting. In some ways, she's sort of reverted back to some of her primary campaign themes um, Uh after trying to make the economy a bigger issue. She's now talking a lot about, quote unquote, school indoctrination. Um, Mm. She has spent a lot of time really bashing this series of training videos from the Michigan Department of Education that advise teachers on how to deal with um, or how to handle uh, situations involving LGBTQ students. Mm. Um, One of the recommendations in that training video, for instance, was to uh, be cautious about telling parents about a um, 
their children's sexual identity or gender orientation if they are not out at the closet and feel that revealing that information could uh, put them in harm's way potentially. Um, Tudor Dixon really picked up on that as a parental rights issue, right? We've seen this across the country in yeah. various campaigns. Um, a lot of it, you know, last year focused on critical race theory. She's really focusing on these sort of LGBT inclusiveness, inclusiveness mm. efforts as well as books uh, in public school libraries that feature she feels are inappropriate. Uh, she's done several press conferences on this topic and and brought it up on stage again the other night um, at a rally here with President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, I should say. Right, right. That's fascinating that she's kind of going back to her golden hits of the primary. Do you uh, and and are her attacks on schools and these training videos getting traction? Uh, you know, outside of her base, can you tell yet? You know, it's hard to say. We haven't seen a ton of polling yet since she really started making this, uh, you know, a prevalent issue in the campaign. Um, certainly, the the GOP base seems to be eating it up, as you mentioned. I mean, I think that's one of the issues that Tudor Dixon has dealt with this and with dealt with in this campaign is that it was a five way primary, and even though she won that primary, she didn't necessarily have that entire GOP base locked up yet. So she's had to spend some time doing that uh, rather than necessarily trying to appeal right. to the middle. And I think we still see her doing that at this point when absentee ballots are already out. I mean, obviously, a Trump rally in the state is not about wooing independent voters or Democratic voters. It's about rallying that base to try and, um, you know, coalesce uh, behind her. I mean, you said Tudor Dixon was the most MAGA candidate in the primary. I would argue she was not, actually. We had oh, a couple okay. real grassroots candidates, Garrett Saldano and Ryan Kelly, who really appealed to that MAGA hmm. uh, base, but they didn't have much infrastructure. Tudor Dixon was backed by Betsy DeVos, had enough money mm -hmm. to get on uh, the radar of Trump and then won an endorsement from him at the very end, just days before the primary. Um, right. So, you know, she actually had a lot of work to do still to show up that mega base, even though she herself is definitely a mega candidate. That's fascinating. Yeah, I was just you said that kind of based on his endorsement. It was fascinating that she had to uh, to hurdle some others who might more naturally have been Trump like figures. Do you expect to see Trump back in the state again between now and, and Election Day? Uh, I doubt it. I mean, unless he chooses to announce his own campaign here in Michigan, uh, 2024. I mean, I think that's yeah. what everybody is kind of waiting for. Um, you know, the, the, even Tudor Dixon said, you know, this is about the base. So, um, you know, I don't think he, he she sees him as a strategic advantage to, again, wooing over independents and, and, and Democrats. Which he voters. clearly has a lot of work to do. So, so Michigan's a great example, Jonathan, of, you know, how a governor's race in a post-ops world take center stage. You've got this, I think it's a 1931 law, uh, which would, would outlaw abortions without exception. Uh, Governor Whitman's not only opposed that, I, I believe she's involved in some legal action. Uh, Tudor Dixon obviously has an opposite position if she were elected governor uh, and the legislature were to stay Republican, which I'll talk to you about in a minute. Um, you know, they'd probably pass a, a, a new law, right, or make sure that one took effect. So just talk about, about that dynamic. How much is abortion driving the race in Michigan? Well, it certain, certainly seems to be having a big impact on polling of the race. Tudor Dixon is trying to walk this fine line where she says, on one hand, uh, she does oppose abortion in most instances. Her, her only exception is the life of the mother, not rape or incest or anything along those lines. But at the same time, she's saying, you know what? 
there's a separate ballot proposal in Michigan. We were one of those states with a big statewide ballot proposal this year as well. And she's saying, you know what, the governor might not actually be in position to decide abortion because voters will uh, with proposal three on the November ballot. So she even suggested publicly, you could vote for this uh, abortion rights proposal, but also vote for me. Like, don't feel it's got to lock you in. I, I think that's a bit of a stretch considering yeah. she has a pretty staunch, you know, anti-abortion position. Uh, and of course, Democrats are doing everything they can to remind voters of that. Um, the DGA, uh, through through a pact that it runs here, it has been on air or online with abor- with abortion-related ads attacking Dixon for months now. Um, and she's had no spending to counteract that. So um, certainly it's a big part of the Democratic playbook here. Yeah, for Um, sure. But Dixon is trying to, she called it a bright, bright, shiny object that Whitmer is trying to distract voters with her record on. Uh, But as you know, the governor has done a lot on this issue. Um, Even if this ballot proposal passes, um, the governor or the administration or the attorney general are going to be in position to defend it in court when legal challenges inevitably arise. So um, it is an issue in this race, clearly. What is the polling on that ballot initiative? Uh, I know it's ahead, but what do you think we're heading? I mean, is this going to win by 18 points, 14 points? What does it look like right now? Well, a lot of the polling so far has been more um, broadly about abortion rights, right? right? And most right. people generally are supportive of abortion rights. What we haven't seen is a ton of polling that specifically questions the ballot language right. and also some of the attacks that are coming. So the conservative movement, Right to Life of Michigan, they're very much trying to make this not about abortion writ large or row, but about the details of this proposal. Yep. Uh, yeah. Because it would potentially, it's a legal question, but potentially invalidate a bunch of other abortion-related restrictions in Michigan, like a parental consent law that Right to Life of Michigan helped pass a couple decades ago. So they're trying to really focus on that granular stuff uh, to, again, peel away voters who might be supportive of abortion rights in general, but uh, have some qualms about parents, you know, not being involved in the decision of a minor who decides to get an abortion. And of course, any data in a campaign is valuable. So for like the Dixon, Tudor Dixon campaign to see who those voters are who might be, you know, pro-choice, but potentially not vote for this, you know, that would be a a target for them. So I'm curious in the, um, you've got constitutional races as well, you know, all of them this year. Give us a a quick, uh, let's start with Secretary of State, which is obviously going to be critical in terms of the 24 presidential election. What's that race look like right now? Yeah, so that's Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. She, like yes. Whitmer, is a Democrat, and she's facing a challenge from Christina Caramo, who is an Oak Park Republican. She is best known for being a poll challenger at the TCF Center in Detroit. That's where the absentee ballot counting happened in 2020. And uh, I don't know if you recall, but it ended up being yeah. uh, quite a showdown there um, because the counting took uh, a while, and President Trump had suggested, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, I'm leading. If anything changes, you know, there, there's fraud. Uh, essentially, sending out that message. Republicans uh, flocked to the TCF Center um, and were pounding on doors. Uh, the, the election staff ended up putting up cardboard in the windows to try and let election workers do their jobs. In any case, Christina Caramo, who's now the GOP nominee for Secretary of State, was in the 
the room. She filed an affidavit on a form that literally said paid for by the Trump campaign, uh, but was included in some legal challenges that failed and has basically you know, made a name for herself alleging fraud um, in that process. Now, none of her claims have ever been substantiated. Um, I've read her affidavit several times. It, you know, makes some vague allegations, but nothing actually specific. Uh, But she is very much not running away. You know, we've seen nationally some candidates are running away from the election denier thing. She's not. She's still talking about (laughs) that all the time. Um, She, in fact, is arguing that, you know, global authoritarians are funding Benson's campaign because they want to control elections and control you. That's essentially her messaging right now. Um, Early in the campaign, she suggested she might try and run on, you know, like uh, motor vehicle branch operations and things like that, which the Secretary of State also um, presides over in Michigan. But she's basically uh, abandoned that strategy and just gone back to, you know, full uh, MAGA mode, essentially. we saw. And is that race considered competitive or no? Um, You know, the polling has also been about 10 points. Um, So uh, consistent with the top of the ticket. Honestly, I don't think anyone really knows who... Christina Caramo is right now, many voters uh, anyways, because uh, like Dixon, she has no money. She has not aired a single television ad. And Jocelyn Benson's campaign has just started to. I I expect we'll see some more negative advertising from either Benson or her, um, (laughs) you know, um, know, supporters uh, in the coming weeks, because Caramo is on record with a lot of very controversial stances, not just about elections, but, um, you know, she hosted a podcast where she, uh, you know, described, uh, you know, talked a lot about demons and and various um, sundry things, alleging uh, all sorts of conspiracies that didn't have to do with elections as well. So um, the the Democrats have a large opposition uh, playbook to run with in that race. Despite that, she's probably guaranteed 45% of the vote in the state of Michigan, which is scary or close to that. It is interesting. Yeah, Jocelyn Benson is probably the best known secretary of state in the country, I would believe. She obviously did, did a lot of media during uh, the 2020 election and, and afterwards. Um, so I think it's a good reminder to Democrats who assume someone like that's going to sail to re-election. She has a comfortable lead now that, you know, it's still Michigan uh, and, and it's still a divided state. And, you know. It's fascinating because in Arizona and Nevada and Michigan, um, you know, the secretary of state's candidates on the Republican side are all election deniers. And these are all core battleground states in the 24 presidential election. So it's such an important story. How about the attorney general's race? Yeah, well, that's another one um, mm-hmm. where actually the polling is quite close. Um, mm-hmm. You've got Democratic Attorney General Dana Nessel mm-hmm. um, running for reelection against Matthew DiPerno. He's a Portage-based attorney. He, too, uh, played a real big national role in efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. He was the lead attorney on a lawsuit in Antrim County, Michigan, a rural area of the state where there was a error initially reporting results. Uh, the clerk there erroneously reported that Joe Biden had won the state, had won the county, which he definitely had not. Uh, but that spawned a million different conspiracy theories um, in Matthew. 
Matthew DiPerno sued uh, the county and managed. I believe he's still the only only instance um, in the country where he got a court order allowing uh, a team of, quote unquote, forensic experts to uh, peek under the hood of Dominion voting machines. Um, that was uh, Russell Ramsland, uh, some of the folks associated with Cyber Ninjas. Uh, they got a look at some tabulators there. They put out a report um, that, although it has been widely debunked by um, experts, independent experts, um, nonetheless spread far and wide, made it to uh, Trump himself, who um, cited it in some various you know, draft proposals to, to seize voting machines across the country, et cetera, um, and uh, continues to be something Trump mentions when he praises DiPerno. Uh, Trump has endorsed both DiPerno and Caramo. He did so early in this cycle, much earlier than when he endorsed Tudor Dixon. Um, so he's, he's a favor of theirs. Now, DiPerno is actually a little more... Um, on message, he is not talking as much about the 2020 election anymore. He's talking hence about why, hence why that election's closer than the other two we've talked about, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think also Dana Nessel, the the incumbent Democrat, does have some unique baggage that other candidates on the top of the ticket do not have. She was, for instance, she admitted it. She got drunk at a college football game tailgate party um, that that made some news, um, and also, um, you know, she's. She said some things. Uh, she she's not as disciplined message wise. She's she's made some controversial comments. She uh, was joking, but said at one point it was caught on film that um, there should be a drag queen in every school. And mm. although it's an obvious joke, that fit right into this GOP narrative. Oh, that, for sure, um, yeah. And uh, has you know, if if DePerno has money to run campaign ads, I'm sure you will see uh, that in those ads. It's already been. Um, you know, used that clip has been used in some online ads from a um, conservative group here in the state. And boy, Tudor Dixon's probably bummed she's not running against Nestle, right? That would be uh, ideal for her. So you have at least two U.S. House races that are considered toss-up races, the, the Kildee seat and the Slotkin seat. Any observations about where those two races stand now? And there, and there may be some other districts. I know there's a couple of lean, lean Democratic districts as well, but take us on a tour of the, of the U.S. House races. Yeah, I mean, the Slotkin uh, race, uh, it's the new 7th district. I mean, like like all states, um, you know, we're, we're doing with new districts here, but we have a unique right. dynamic in Michigan that we have a new independent redistricting commission uh, that drew lines for the first time this year. And we ended up with some more competitive congressional districts and state house and state senate districts. Um, the, the 7th district, Alyssa Slotkin, an incumbent Democrat, um, actually had to move, uh, you know, I guess legally. Legally did not have to, but she did move to be in this new district, um, which doesn't include her her old hometown anymore, but is sort of centered around Lansing. Um, in the surrounding area. Um, and she's running against a state senator, Tom Barrett, who is, you know, fairly well known in the region. Um, and uh, on paper, it's a very competitive district. It went slightly for Trump in 2016, but slightly for Biden in 2020. Uh, so both sides think they have a legitimate chance to win it. And you've seen a lot of spending from the, yeah. the DCCC and the Republicans uh, in that race, sort of uh, you know viewing it as a proxy uh, for, for um, some larger issues in the state. Um, Another one that I th I find really fascinating, you, you didn't mention it, but is the third congressional district. Mm -hmm. That's um, uh, it was 
Peter Myers for district yep. cur- currently, or well, I guess it's a new district now, but Peter Meyer, the inc- incumbent Republican, lost in the primary to John Gibbs. He's a Trump, uh, Trump-backed uh, candidate, worked in HUD under Trump and, and Ben Carson. Um, and uh, he's running against Hillary Scolton, a Democrat who also ran against Peter Meyer two years prior and proved to be a really capable fundraiser, mm-hmm. capable candidate. And that district really changed on paper. It went from a you know pretty decent Republican district to a lean Democratic district mm-hmm. now. And John Gibbs, even though he won that primary, is widely seen as an inferior general general yeah. election candidate to Peter Meyer. Um, he's you know got some issues just personality wise. He's a little wooden and a little stiff. Um, but also, I mean some. <laughs> some opposition research problems yeah. as well. He wrote a blog uh, in college um, advocating against, uh, you know, bashing the women's suffrage movement, um, arguing that it set the country back, um, which obviously not a very popular opinion with the general election um, voter. So um, that's a fascinating one because you see Hillary Scolton, the Democrat, she's running ads very much appealing to like moderate voters or even, right. you know, soft Republicans in that district. District, um, trying to say, you know, if you think he's too extreme, I'm not. She's a former Department of Justice attorney. She has an ad up now that literally says that literally bashes Democrats for spending too much in Washington D.C. Um, so she's very much trying to trying to play that middle and, and win over some voters who are fearful that John Gibbs is, you know, maybe going to take the area too far to the right. It's fascinating. Well, they must have polling to suggest with this next tranche of voters she can tip over. That's the the key message. That race, though, your point is both because of redistricting because of Gibbs is considered a lean Democrat, right? So that's one that most observers write. So, and then you've got the Kildee race, which is also considered a toss up, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the yeah. Kildee race again, just because of redistricting, um, you know, right. that area and, and that side of the state. Like, you know, Kildee's from f- the Flint area, which itself is very liberal, but all the rural region right yeah. around Flint has gone very red in recent years. Um, and uh, the way that was drawn, just on paper, makes it more competitive. I was running against Paul Young, a Republican who ran previously as well for Congress in a different district uh, before redistricting, so he's got experience, you know, raising funds and, and talking to voters. Um, so, I mean, I think the the expectation that is that Kildee is still a very seasoned politician um, and, and is going to be able to pull that off. But, it, you know, on paper, it's uh, if it's a if it's a good year for Republicans, um, it could be a bad year for Dan Kildee. For sure. For sure. Fascinating. And then you've got the Michigan State Senate uh, currently controlled by Republicans. Uh, how realistic do you think uh, the Democratic chances are to flip the Michigan State Senate? Well, again, on paper, pretty decent. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, the way, well, it's been decades, first of all, let me say, since Democrats controlled the state Senate. That has been under Republican control for a very long time. Um, Republicans led, you know, drew the maps the last couple cycles and and gave themselves very favorable districts. On paper, these new districts are very competitive. Um, I I don't remember our exact analysis, but we had it roughly 50-50 when we uh, crunched the numbers based on, you know, 16 and 20 data. Um, and, uh, you know, there are, there are a number of seats there that um, you've got really strong candidates on both sides in, in competitive areas. Um, one interesting thing we have seen is that, well, Republicans have historically just crushed Democrats and fundraising for state Senate races. Um, 
there's been some reversal. Democrats are actually raising funds quite well. Um, one interesting wrinkle is that uh, a senator is running for re-election in a safe district, Senator Mallory, Mallory McMorrow, uh, became sort of a national star yeah. earlier this year um, when she spoke out against a GOP colleague who had who had called her a groomer for supporting LGBTQ issues. Um, she raised uh, a, a ton of money that she's been able to spread around to other Republicans, and she herself doesn't have a competitive race. Um, so really fascinating dynamic there. I mean, Democrats are optimistic. Republicans, of course, are optimistic as well that they're going to keep that chamber. But um, compared to the state house, the chances of flipping the Senate are actually um, stronger for Democrats. Stronger. Are there any other races of note listeners around the country should uh, should pay attention to in terms of Michigan? Well, I think the ballot issues are really yeah. a, a huge issue here in Michigan. I mean, we yeah. we mentioned the reproductive rights proposal. Right. That's proposal three, but proposal two is is a really big deal as well. That's uh, another voting rights initiative. This group promote the vote uh, in 2018 had a proposal to you know um, put no reason absentee ballot ballot balloting into the state constitution. They're back this time with a proposal that would basically. Um, you know, codify or put put a lot of existing uh, rules into the state constitution so that Republicans can't make it harder. Right? The Republicans had had tried their own petition drive, but didn't didn't make it to the ballot. This proposal would, for instance, uh, keep existing rules that allow voters who don't have an ID on election day to sign an affidavit of identity under mm-hmm. the penalty of perjury that they are who they are, who they say they are, and still vote. Uh, and it would also um, uh, allow up to nine days of early voting. Um, so Michigan has in, not in had, person. Yep, right, early right, in person yeah. voting. I mean, currently you can sort of in person vote early by casting an absentee ballot at your um, cl- right. local clerk's office in Michigan. But this would. Um, have the clerks actually open uh, traditional polling places for nine days before the election to, uh, again, you know, just give voters more options. So that's proposal two. That's a really big deal as well. And I think could uh, drive up voters on, on both sides of the issue. Great point. Yeah. No, I think, you know, uh, nationally, there's a, always a lot of focus on California ballot initiatives, but Michigan's always been an active place where some really important changes happen uh, at the ballot box. That's fascinating. I'm curious, uh, Jonathan. So, um, you know, Michigan was, you know, you think about, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan and and breaking into Macomb County. The Reagan Democrats term was really about Macomb County, um, a real strength of his. But then for a long time, Democrats were able to to win Michigan along with their sister states, uh, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, the so-called blue wall. I know when I was involved with Barack Obama, we won it comfortably twice. Um, I think he had some unique strength up there. Romney and 12 in particular had some unique weaknesses. But I think there was a sense that maybe Michigan's drifting more solid blue. We we obviously saw in 16, that's not true. Obviously, 18 was a strong year, 20 super close. So as, as people, obviously, we've got this election right in front of us. You need to take a long vacation at this election. But is your assessment that in 24, Michigan will be one of the top three to five battlegrounds again on the presidential race? Um, yeah, I have to imagine so. I mean, of course, it'll depend who the candidates, the candidates are on, right. on both sides. Um, <laughs> of course, you know, Joe Biden likely to run for re-election and Donald Trump likely, I would say, to run again. He, um, 
certainly was uh, flirting with the idea during his rally here the other night. So that will depend on things. But yes, I mean, um, you know, we, we've seen Michigan, especially w- with Trump on the ticket, has been very divided. Right. He successfully, you know, appeal, appealed to a lot of the blue collar workers, the the Macomb County uh, union workers, for yeah. instance. Um we have, however, seen, you know, the battleground sort of shift to like the suburbs in Oakland County, a more affluent area, mm. educated area that really went for Joe Biden in 2020. But uh, yeah, I mean, like a lot of states, the differences between the cities and the rural areas only seem to be getting more magnified in Michigan. Yeah. Um, so you've got a lot of uh, just growing uh, red areas in the state that it appears are not going to turn back for Democrats anytime soon. Um, but they're still doing you know, pretty well in, in the big urban areas and uh, increasingly the suburbs. Well, that's a great example of what's you know, a fundamental change in American politics in, in, in recent years is I mean, yeah, Democrats for a while now have been able to, in some precincts in some major cities, would win 90-10. But there were really no precincts statewide where Republicans would win. You know, they they might win 60-40, 65-35. Now there, you know, there there are plenty of precincts and, and even some counties. You know, we saw this in the Yunkin race in Virginia, for instance, and, and you know, where they're able to get those margins, you know, 80-20, 85-15. And those tend to come from smaller counties and precincts, but they all add up. <laughs> You know, when you aggregate them. And so that's that's the thing to watch. In fact, Michigan is such a great example of some of these these uh, these changes in our politics. And yeah, right. Are, are there are the Democrats about at their ceiling with suburban voters in Oakland County or not? Are Republicans kind of at their ceiling in these rural counties and can Democrats have a comeback? Right. Can Republicans begin to do better with some some non-college black men, for instance? Uh, Trump was able to do that uh, in some areas. So. Michigan's going to tell us a lot, I think, in this election about what 24 uh, may look like. So, Jonathan, thank you for your time today. A great tour of of the important uh, and always interesting state of Michigan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Preston Elliott, campaign manager for Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Welcome to Campaign HQ. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, as I'll mention in the introduction, you and I worked together a long time ago, back in the 04 cycle, but uh, we're here today to talk about the 22 cycle. And I'm curious, Preston, you know, you've managed a lot of races, worked in a lot of races throughout the country. Uh, we owe a debt of gratitude to you for that, by the way. Uh, but Thank before you. we get into the state of play, I'm, I'm interested. So, um, you know, you are running the reelection for governor. Obviously, the economy, uh, you know, I view it as mixed. You've got still got low unemployment. Uh, you've had high consumer confidence recently, but we do have high inflation. How do you make the case for a governor when the national economy is either, you know, negative or mixed? But you've got a lot of accomplishments, obviously, on her watch. So how do you how do you pound that economic message? And I assume part of that's a contrast with your opponent. Well, I think, yes. So one part of it is what you mentioned is what her accomplishments are and what she's done for the people of Michigan. So there's a lot of proof points we can use on that. But it's also very important that folks remember that she's more than just a governor, Um, that she is a, a Michigander, a mom of, you know, two girls in college. And just, you know, it, it was very important for us to start this off like we did in 2018 and remind people that she knows what it's like to have to pay bills, to have, you know, when she's starting off in a career 
her mom's, you know, sick with cancer and she has to fight for insurance, you know, fight for insurance. And then also like, you know, she was a new mom. So she knows the pressure and the, the stress that Michiganders are under like undergoing right now in a tough economy. And that's true. And that's where she operates from. So it's important that, you know, not only do we remind people of the work that she's doing for governor, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, she's Michigan focused, you know, as a mom, she knows what she's delivering here. So I want to get to the 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 economic accomplishments and so you bring up an interesting point. So, you know, Gretchen Whitmer is someone I think to Democrats around the country, they figure they all know everything there is to know about her, much less people in Michigan. But it's always a reminder. Uh, I remember back in Barack Obama's first presidential race, we're running biography all the way through to the end. And people would see it and say, why are you doing that? It's like, if we don't remind them every kind of week or two, uh, you know, about his story and his grandparents and his grandmother serving on the bomber assembly line, they forget it. So just, it, it's interesting. It, just talk about it. Like, I'm sure this has been true in other races. Just, you got to keep pounding in those core messages, whether they be issues or biography, even when everybody thinks you're crazy to be doing so, it's kind of when the voters are really beginning to pay attention for the first time. Well, we see that with the governor because people respond really well with her. Uh Um, And I mean, I I can't pass up this opportunity to mention it now. And you can see it with our contrast as well, that literally, you know, at the Trump rally, Tudor Dixon's complaining about, you know, there's stories coming out about how she is frustrated by how people want to talk about his abortion. You know, <laughs> like, well, if you weren't so wrong on it, people would right. probably move past it. But, you know, so, yeah, it yeah. is important to remind Tough people luck. Like, what that. Yeah, exactly. It's important to remind people what these core differences are. And as you know, when you're drawing these contrasts or when you're talking about who you are, your opponent are, when it's based in truth, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, these executive offices, whether they be mayor, uh, governor, president, I mean, obviously the policies you hold or don't hold are important, but, you know, voters have to live with you, you know, nonstop. And so that the sort of, do they like you? Do they understand your values? Do you understand, do they understand yours is so important. So we'll talk about abortion in a minute. So on the economy, what are the couple of things that you guys are really pounding in that you think is effective in terms of whether that's a contrast or stuff that Governor Whitmer's accomplished? Um, you know, I mean, she um, she has been focused on growing the economy of Michigan. Um, and, you know, that started, obviously, with, um, you know, everybody remembers from the last campaign, Fix the Dam's Roads. Like, she is continuing mm-hmm. to do that, and we're continuing to remind people that that's getting done. And, you know, especially at this time of year, uh, voters know it and recognize it. Um, and that's, you know... There's a lot of economic and, you know, financial benefit for that for, you know, voters. Um, but, you know, it's important for jobs out here, too, and growing the infrastructure of the state because, you know, there's there has been a lot of disinvestment in infrastructure in Michigan. And when the governor came in, she started reinvesting in the state. Um, and that makes it that makes a difference, you know, not just on roads, but, you know, with clean water, with um you know, with even investments in infrastructure for the economy. So, you know, like we're talking about right now, you know, investing in companies to come in, build chip plants here in Michigan so that we can continue to be a leader in the auto industry and to make sure that we're actually shrinking or like, you know, uh, 
moving past like supply chain shortages. Um, right. You know, so that impacts the voters directly. It impacts people whose jobs are here um, because, quite frankly, a lot of these things when we're talking about you know, making Michigan economy work for electric vehicles. It's not just about the environment. It's about making sure we're at the cutting end of industry again. Um, and she's right. been at the forefront making sure that we do that, you know, with the, you know, $7 billion GM deal, which, you know, going back into our contrast, which, you know, we've got an opponent who kind of, you know, just partisan response is to like fight back, say, no, that's a bad deal even though it's a bipartisan deal that the governor has worked with to make sure that's happened. So, uh well, history suggests Republican candidates who, who quibble with a survival and and thrival of the uh, auto industry in Detroit and Michigan tend to come up short. So let's talk about abortion. So yes, Tudor Dixon understandably would like to stop talking about it. I mean, Michigan may be one of the best examples of like who wins this governor's race will determine so much for people uh, and women in Michigan. Just talk about the stakes there. Explain to everybody like what's going to happen if Governor Whitmer wins re-election? What would happen if Tudor Dixon uh, were to win? Yeah, so there is a law... Um, there's what we refer to as the 1931 law in Michigan, um, that basically criminalizes abortion. It would actually, you know, I believe up to four years send uh, nurses and uh, doctors to jail who perform abortions. Um, and we've got, a, you know, right now, you know, um, when we saw this thing coming, the, you know, we prepared for it, the governor, you know, knew that we were, you know, we can't let this law go into effect. And she has a lawsuit in the Supreme Court right now um, to make sure that we prohibit that from going into effect. And right now it's, you know, on hold. But she, we're fighting for that. And, you know, if we win that case, we're going to make sure that we protect the right to abortion for all, uh, for all Michiganders. You know, the contrast to that is, one, we've got a dangerous opponent who has literally said no exceptions for rape, incest, health of the mother, um, which is just insane. You know, and now because people are starting to learn her position because she said what her position is, she's now said, well, no, I can't. I couldn't do anything about this as governor or there's a. You know, there's a ballot initiative, so don't worry about what my position is, which we know is just, you know, it's crazy when we've got a governor who's fighting for the, you know, to protect the right uh, to choice for all women versus, you know, an opponent who, you know, literally set a perfect example of bringing a baby to term was a 14 year old, like rape and incest victim. So very big extremes and also like a big difference of, you know, a leader who will actually do something versus a leader who will pretend that they can't get anything done if, it, if they think it's going to hurt their election chances. Right. So, Preston, how much do you expect the abortion issue where there is such huge stakes in Michigan? You know, it's different than a legislative race where you have to convince people like, well, if I lose this race, the other party takes control and then they may pass a law. This is like, how much is this going to drive vote? I know it won't drive vote everywhere and with everyone. But is this is this really driving? Um, and I guess I would ask two things, both swing votes as well as turnout. I, there are both swing and turnout, I think will have a big impact on, uh -huh. um, because you can see and hear even there are, there are Republicans and independents out there 
who may not support abortion or, you know, would choose to have one on their own, but they know that the right to that, that, that option was important. Um, so you can see that with swing voters, especially when they hear how dangerous our opponent's position is. And quite frankly, it is very motivating for voters right now to go out and vote and that, you know, cuts across a lot of lines. Um, you know, and it, not just, you know, not just suburban women, but it is impacting, which I think a lot of people just kind of reflexively think is where the impact would be, but you'll see it, you'll see it with a lot of, um, what I would say are kind of like base traditional democratic targets are also engaged by this because, and I'll admit, I would have never expected it when we first saw the opinion leak, a lot of people started asking like, well, what will come next? And I was kind of like, well, that's just kind of whatever, like Twitter, like mindset of being like, let's make everything as extreme and about me as possible. Um, but <laughs> voters were also saying that they realize that if you're taking that right away that people have had for 50 years. Right. What else is on the table? And that is motivating for people. And it should be. Exactly. So I know you're a cautious campaign manager, so you're just assuming Tudor Dixon and the Republicans will generate great turnout. But I'm wondering what you're seeing in the data. So it, whether that be your own polls, what you're, you're capturing on the ground, because I think Michigan's a good example. Uh, certainly in 16 and 20, uh, you know, Republicans got strong turnout. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, that was matched by, you know, the vote share in some of those uh, you know, northern and western counties, uh, you know, where Trump was able to really widen that. But what are you expecting based on the data you're seeing in terms of are, are we looking at another like super high Republican turnout year or are there some fissures there? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I as you said, I'm cautious. So I always expect our our opponents performing well and doing yeah. well. And I think as we entered into the cycle, I think, you know, we knew that this was going to be a very. Republican friendly environment. I think it's gotten a little less so for them. Um, but we also know there's, you know, a lot that can happen in the next 36 days. We are seeing, you know, we're putting a, we're putting a lot of effort into turnout here and we're really going to be focused on that throughout the election and we're seeing a good response to it. Um, you know, we are, I mean, they literally just started voting on the 29th. So it's kind of a little bit too early for you know, <laughs> prognostication on this, but like, I think, um, I think we're going to have some good motivation here, but I still think it is going to be incumbent on us to pull out a lot of voters because you're just sitting here with, you know, <laughs> we can't have another 2014 happen. We would yeah. like to get close to 2018 as possible. Um, and we've got enough voters there who have voted in, 18 and 20, that if we're just getting half of them to show up that didn't show up for 14, we can make this happen again. So we've, right. we know we have a big enough pool there. We think we'll have enough motivation there. And I, quite frankly, I do think, you know, there's a lot of support for the governor and the lieutenant governor. Um, I think people are pretty tied into the stakes here. Um, now we just got to make sure that we keep driving that turnout up. And I think they see the danger of kind of, you know, not just 
Tudor Dixon, but the other Republicans that are on the ballot, too. Yeah, you've got quite a, uh, a rogues gallery uh, in Michigan uh, for for like a quintessential swing state. It's, it's, it just tells you to stay the Republican Party. Good reminder that people are voting in Michigan, as there are in many places. We, we don't talk about Election Day anymore. We talk about Election Month or Election, you know, <laughs> month and a half. And you're in a Preston. So Michigan's a fascinating state. It's a big state. You've got, you know, major American city in Detroit. You have major college campuses. Uh, you've got industrial areas. You still have quite a bit of agriculture. You've got obviously massive suburban vote uh, in the state as well. So, you know, again, a campaign manager's job is to worry about everything. But as as you look around the state, where are you most optimistic that you guys may exceed kind of your initial sense of of either vote margin or turnout? Where do you still have some concerns? It's really funny. I'll also admit, especially on a statewide race like this, I've always said like, all my voters are equal like, as long yeah, as right. they're coming out. It's just a matter of where they mass, um, yeah. you know, and we try to make sure that all of our work and effort is getting out there. You know, you know, our, our first thing is making sure that we've got everything funded so that we can make sure that we're talking to everybody throughout the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I guess if I were to cut, if I were to be cutting these, like I, we have good base support right now um, mm-hmm. through, you know, the career of the governor and lieutenant governor, you know, so I do think, you know, I, I, we are getting a lot of strong support in Detroit, you know, Southeast Michigan, as well as, you know, where we need to be in Oakland. I think we're quite, you know, we know she performed well in Macomb in uh, 18. I think we will again. And, you know, we're not going to take any votes for granted, like, you know, you know, out, out, outside of, you know, throughout, you know, you know me, you, you know, we worked out, you know, I, I, I believe that we got to go out and go after these rural votes as well, because there yeah. are Democrats out there and swing voters out there that need to hear what the message is. So we're not going to leave anything for granted. But, you know, I, I feel like we're doing pretty well. It's always just a question in Michigan of where are folks swinging? Because when you look right. at it, there's, there's a lot of undecided vote out there or, you know, and it's, it's really hard to move a lot of vote, but just reminding folks where the option are is here. That's going to, that's, that's where your, you know, your X factor is, as we're moving in in the last month or election day. So you think from a, you have the financial resources, the people resources, which are obviously important. And then you've got the messages to go prosecute the campaign everywhere, including counties where you're just trying to lose by 35 instead of 45. Exactly. Like, yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Make sure yeah. you, you, you know, Make sure you're getting every vote you can there, because if you're not talking to them, they're either not turning out or they're going the other way. Right. And we'll we'll take that. too. We've got a big enough target of votes to talk to out here. You mentioned some of Tudor Dixon's um, really outrageous statements, not just statements, uh, you know, positions on abortion. She's also made light of the kidnapping attempt on Governor Whitmer. I mean, she seems like kind of a circus act, but I, I guess is there a strategy behind that? Like, is this how she says, well, I'll dominate a news cycle? Or do you think this is just kind of how she rolls um, almost haphazardly? Um, that is hard to ascribe a motive to. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. a tra- I mean, I guess if you were to look at it, you could maybe say this is what happens when you kind of come out of a, um, you know, like her career was kind of, you know, wanting to, well, I guess, do what you're doing right now of being like, you know, she tried to run a school network 
news network so that they because they were afraid of propaganda in the schools. You know, she tried to, you know, be a podcast radio TV host for a while. I'm sure she probably still wouldn't mind doing that. So it's kind of a, you know, a product of thinking that what people see on talk shows is what leadership should look like, which is not the case. Um, So it's hard, you know, there is a strategy there because she's got, you know, you know, there, she had, she has always had a focus of believing that you should, you know, you know, eliminate the Department of Education and privatize education. And she is tied on with Betsy DeVos, who also mm-hmm. wants to do these things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so her her outlook in life is matching up with where, you know, she's aligning herself and her power. You just wonder if, to your point about kind of her interest in media and background and whether she 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 sees a Fox News, uh, you know, contract in her future. If you guys can can dispatch with her. I'm curious. So, you you know, you've been running campaigns for a long time and, you know, going back to the 1800s, you know, the job of the campaign manager was to get enough votes to win the election. So that hasn't mm-hmm. changed. But it, for you, it must have changed so much in terms of technology, in terms of data, these different platforms. Talk a little bit about that. Like what's 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 changed for you as a campaign manager through the years? Yeah, I mean, it is it is funny when you're looking at, you know, I'm, I notice it the most when I talk to, you know, our field team. Yeah. And just the, you know... <laughs> The lack of paper and just the apps, like the lack of having to do data. Like, so the amount of time you're actually saving on that or cutting turf, like in none of that, you know, translates to, you know, oh my God, look at how much vote you're getting out of that. But the amount of time that you're not spending on that so that you can actually focus on talking to voters or getting, um, that's always what kind of like amazes me the most. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, if yeah. you know, like even the data and the metrics that people are tracking is very different. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's all still focused on the same thing of like, how are you getting out there and talking to voters? Um, you know, and as long as you don't kind of get lost in, well, are we talking to the voters that we need to having the conversations that we need to? That's the most important part to that and where we really try to focus things on, you know, on this campaign is making sure that we've got, you know, we've got a robust coordinated campaign that we're, you know, making sure that we've, we're putting together and executing out here. Um, which by the way, is the first time that there hasn't been a presidential or a Senate race in, in the last 10 years here. So, you know, like right. we've got to make sure that we're putting this thing together and driving it, um, you know, so that everybody here benefits from it. But, um, you know, we're making sure that we are, you know, focused on conversations at the door so that we're talking to voters in, you know, not just not just getting ideas, but also passing our message and having real conversations. And we've been focused as well as getting the governor and lieutenant governor out on what we call like, you know, grilling with Gretchen events of just getting her out, you know, out at a park, inviting people over for, you know, hot dogs and burgers to, right. you know, hear from the candidate and talk one on one them and we've been doing that all summer long with a lot of success so you know but to your point on the technology question all of that is backing up what we're doing to make it more efficient like it is a lot easier to get a lot of people to show up for an event you know than it used to be yeah for sure for sure yeah less dialing and and yeah, I mean, the job of an organizer, again, like a manager is the same, but it's just changed a lot in terms of the data entry and yeah. how many you know, landline calls we used to make to recruit volunteers. Yeah, you know, or crazy. you're trying to figure out, 
you know, like, you know, there was a lot of people had to figure out how to make campaigns work in the pandemic. And some of that, you know, is translated over, you know, the preponderance of Zoom calls is, like, you know, like um, something that, you, you know, there's a few calls that we still just do on conference calls and it feels like you're back in the 90s or. Yeah. Kind of nice, isn't it? Sometimes it not to nice. be on. But then you're also yeah. like, why don't I know who's on the call right now? And we're interrupt. But it is kind of nice to not have to be sitting at your desk while you're doing them. Yeah. Now you mentioned the coordinated campaign. It is interesting. This is getting, you know, into the the weeds of operatives, but, you know, no Senate race, no presidential race. So a lot of that burden falls on you. I mean, do, is is the sense that you have a chance to to flip the Michigan Senate or where, where does that stand right yeah, now? Yeah, I think there's, you know, they've got a lot of good effort going on there. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, people are excited about it and they're there for it. Yeah. So and yeah. that would really change the dynamics of, you know, a second term. That would be huge. So how are you? Obviously, you know, listen, you're not you just want to get the vote you need but to win the race, uh, kind of irrespective of of when that vote's counted. But Michigan is going to be uh, counting absentee ballots in the days after the election, right, because the legislature refused to change the law. So how should people prepare for results in your race, those House races that are so critical, the Michigan Senate? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we are probably in a spot of just, you know, let's be patient. Um, right. We'll do everything we can as a campaign to make sure that we just win it big enough to bet we don't. But I don't think that's going to happen in Michigan, nor right. should we expect it. But we'll do everything we can to make sure that happens. But I right. think people just need to wait and, you know, as, as you kind of saw, like, it's really hard to watch results come in and try to like divine what's coming out of them. Um, so patience will be the key. On patience. It. But I mean, you know, not to bring up bad memories, but, but let's say at some point in election night, Tudor Dixon's ahead, you know, based on what's reported. Do you think she'll go out there and try and say, declare victory, like stop counting? I mean, what's your view of that? Um, that's a good question. Well, she has already said she won't accept the results of the 22 election. So she Unless may she go out there and do it. Yeah, yeah she would. Uh, yeah. She hasn't. Yeah. So, so that means she's prone to jumping to conclusions early. So she could be prone <laughs> to do that, but it doesn't mean we need to. You know, we'll have a sense of where that's happening or not. And I mean, where her vote's coming from—that's going to be a harder case for her to take or to make. Right. You know, because it, you're you're piecing together too many pieces with how they have to do it. Right. 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 And what percentage of the vote is going to come in early and by mail in Michigan this year, if you guys, if you had to estimate? I, to tell you the truth, would have to look at that because I have yeah. not yet thought through what my life will look like on that night. Right, so, right, what I right, need to right. Worry about. So in I'll terms of to, the allocation. I'll go to the data people because admittedly, like, right. to your point, I wasn't watching results come in here. On right. But it's not in Arizona or, a Cal- you know, the, you know, Michigan is still not a, a state where you're getting almost all the vote in early. So, yeah. right. I mean, you're 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 going to have a healthy amount because more people are exercising that right to vote by mail. But it's still not going to be, uh, you know, the, the kind of di- uh, numbers we see in in some of the states have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And we had a pretty smooth we had a pre- I mean, I know it was a lot smaller, but it was a pretty smooth um, return for the primary in the primary. Right. Which yeah. was kind of my first experience here with Mich- watching the Michigan yeah. results. So maybe yeah. I would knock on wood, but they won't let me do that because I was pounding <laughs> on the table earlier. But, so, <laughs> but, but right. hopefully that'll happen again. 
Well, Preston, thank you for your time and how busy you are. And uh, I think, uh, you know, everyone around the country, Democrats and anyway, are rooting for your success, both in terms of uh, the importance of restoring Gretchen Whitmer to four more years and what that means for Michigan. But also, I think there can be a lot of lessons learned about how to put together winning coalitions, uh, you know, as we look ahead to 2024. Well, we got to finish it, but hopefully you're right. (laughs) Yeah, right. Sort of that pathway (laughs) to victory. Yeah, yeah. But thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, Preston, keep uh, keep up the great work. 